In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus provides us with a series of parables to help us better understand the many faceted aspects of the kingdom of God or the church. And as I've said, while the terminology kingdom of God and church are not truly synonymous or identical, yet they have a great deal in common. And so for the purpose of this morning, I'm going to be using those terms interchangeably. We now come upon two parables that are not interpreted for us, but the overall meaning is quite apparent. The first parable is the parable of the mustard seed. Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 and 32, as it has just been read to you. The second parable is the parable of leaven, or yeast, in verse 33. Now, in review, there are some obvious similarities in these two parables. In both parables, the kingdom of God has a very small beginning. In verse 32, the significance regarding the mustard seed is its tiny size. Notice verse 32. It is the smallest of all seeds. Of all the seeds in the garden that could be planted, it is small. But the significance is that, of course, it's going to grow of great size. The significance of the leaven is, again, that it is small in relationship to the large amount of flour in which it is placed. Matthew 13, 33. For the leaven that a woman took hid in three measures of flour. It is so small that it is described as being hidden, meaning that it cannot be seen. It's not discernible, yet it is there. In both parables, the kingdom expands greatly. In the parable of the mustard seed, the kingdom grows and expands to the place in which it becomes a tree where the birds of the air come and lodge. In the parable of the leaven, the leaven expands to such a degree that the whole flower is leavened. Those are the similarities. There are also some dissimilarities, some ways in which these two parables differ. First, the parables provide us with two different pictures of the kingdom's expansion. In the parable of the mustard seed, the kingdom grows. In the parable of the leaven, the kingdom spreads. Secondly, the parables also provide us with two different pictures of the nature of the kingdom. And it is that difference that is key to the understanding of these two parables. The first parable, the parable of the mustard seed, is a parable about the growth of the visible kingdom or the visible church. Remember that the visible kingdom or the visible church is that which can literally be seen with the eye. We are the visible church this morning. You can look around and see who is here. The visible church is comprised of all those that profess allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. However, within the visible church, there are those that are truly regenerate 
and those that aren't. People that profess faith that really don't have faith, or even some that haven't truly professed faith in the way that we would think of it, but yet associate themselves with the people of God. The parable of the leaven is a parable about the spread of the invisible church, or the true kingdom and the true church. The emphasis of the word hid is, again, that it is out of sight. You cannot see the leaven, but you can see the effects that the leaven has upon the flower. Remember, the invisible kingdom are those that comprise the true kingdom of God. They are the regenerate, born-again believers. Last week, we focused on the growth of the physical kingdom, the visible kingdom of God. And we noted that it says that it is going to grow to the place where it is larger than any of the other plants of the garden. And we noted that today, that people that profess allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ number over a billion people. One-third of the earth's population identify with Jesus Christ. It is the largest religion on the face of the earth. Now, not all of those people are born again, for we're talking about the visible kingdom. This morning, we focus on the invisible kingdom. So lessons about the invisible kingdom of God. Three lessons from this one verse, verse 33. The first is the magnitude of the kingdom's spread. The magnitude of the kingdom's spread. We are to see and marvel at the disproportion of the leaven and its spread in comparison to the flour. Notice verse 33. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. Now, three measures of flour would translate into nearly a bushel of flour. How much is a bushel of flour? A bushel of flour would equal enough flour to make bread that would feed 150 people. So we're talking about a pretty big loaf of bread, one that will feed 150 people. And yet, it is from a very small amount of leaven that that whole loaf is going to be leavened. Or it is very, from a very small amount of yeast that eventually that whole loaf will rise. The meaning of the parable. The leaven are the people of God. The flour is all the people of the world. The point is that there are few people in the beginning of the kingdom, hid as it were, among all the people of the world. The teaching is that the invisible kingdom of God begins with just Jesus and the 12 disciples. 
a pretty inauspicious beginning. Not very notable, not very noteworthy. We mentioned last week about the laughable nature of the kingdom in Jesus' day. They mocked him when he said that he was king of the Jews. What kind of kingdom was he reigning over? Well, here it is in its infancy, Jesus and 12 disciples. From that initial start of Jesus and 12 disciples, eventually the whole world is going to be reached. That's the emphasis of this parable. In Matthew chapter 28, we have what we have come to know as the Great Commission. And we hear these words. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Jesus said, I have authority over the entire earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of the entire earth, of all nations. He said that to 12 people. Go make disciples of the entire world. Now, not every person in the whole world is going to be saved. However, the scripture teaches that before the Lord returns, the whole world will have been reached with the gospel. Listen to these Amazing words. And he, that is Jesus, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? What is going to be the sign? How are we going to know that you are about to come and the end of the age has arrived? What sign is there? Jesus said this, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations, and then the end comes. Then the end comes. After the gospel of the kingdom has been preached to all the nations. Mark this, that not only is the gospel going to be preached to all nations, But there will be a people saved out of all people groups on the face of the earth. Listen to Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals. For thou wast slain, speaking of the Lord Jesus, and did purchase for God with thy blood Men from every tribe, tribe and tongue and people and nation. That Jesus purchased with his blood people out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. 
Not every group in any one generation, but over the course of history, from the time that Jesus walked this earth until the time that he returns, in that period of time, there will be people from every ethnic group, every language group, every tribe, that will be represented in heaven. Wow. That's a pretty amazing thought. How is this kingdom going to spread so demonstrably? How is it that from Jesus and 12 disciples that it is going to result in someone from every people group on the face of this earth coming to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. How is that going to happen? A time before the printing press, a time before the radio, a time before the television, a time before the internet, how are all peoples on the face of the earth going to be reached. How can this be accomplished? Which brings us to point two. The manner in which the kingdom spreads. The first was the magnitude. Here's the manner in which the kingdom spreads. By placing the leaven into the measures of flour. In order for the flour to be leavened, the leaven must be placed in the flour. Notice verse 33. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. The way that the flour becomes leavened is by leaven being placed in the flour. Now that point is so obvious that it doesn't even seem like it's worth making except that's the point. The way that the flour is going to be leavened is by leaven being placed in the flour and then spreading. You can't keep the leaven apart from the flour and have the flour leavened. You can't keep yeast separate from the flour and expect the flour to be rising, for it has no yeast. Jesus said these words in John 17. I've given them them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Goes on to say, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. And now these words, listen to them carefully. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Just as you have commissioned me and sent me into the world, so I commissioned them and send them into the world. And then Jesus makes it clear, goes on John 17 and says, I pray not just for them, but I pray also for them 
that believe on me through their word. In order for Jesus to reach the world, it was necessary for Jesus to enter the world. Listen to John 3, 13. No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. No one went up to heaven to reach Jesus. Jesus came down out of heaven to reach us. So too, we have to be sent into the world. Now, while this might seem obvious, it is very, very important. Why? Well, in the United States, we have experienced in recent years what has become to be known as the modern church growth movement. And uh, Fuller Seminary is usually credited with fathering the modern church growth movement. They produced most of the early materials and had a great impact upon the idea of the uh, modern church growth movement. What is modern about it? What was unique to it? The answer is that it was basically an attractional model. Meaning that the way in which the church grew was to attract non-believers to the church. To entice non-believers to come and to hear the gospel in order to be saved. The emphasis turned from going to reach people to drawing people in. Rather than to go where they were, it was to bring them to us so that they would hear the word of God and be saved. Thus, the emphasis was to have services and programs that would entice people to come into the visible church, to literally come to the church building to hear the gospel. And so came the birth of what came to be known as the seeker-friendly service. This was an opportunity for the seeker, the person without Christ who was seeking Christ, would be welcomed, would be ministered to, and would ultimately come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it was geared to trying to attract people to church. So the church service was geared to be pleasing to non-believers. So you had less, less preaching, more music, And the primary purpose of the Sunday service was not instruction or even worship, but evangelism. 
So, what happened? Answer, first, it did result in the growth of many visible churches. However, it has been discovered over time that while churches were growing numerically, they were not growing by conversion, by conversion growth. Rather than attracting non-believers, Christians were moving from smaller, less program-oriented churches to larger, more program-oriented and full-featured churches, if you will. Let me just give you one example. It became a fad for churches to have Super Bowl parties. You may even have seen certain churches advertising that they're going to have a Super Bowl party. And the idea was that they would bring in a big, widescreen TV and broadcast the Super Bowl, and then at halftime, they would preach the gospel to all those non-believers that had come to watch the football game. And thus, they had an opportunity to reach the lost. But what happened after people did a great deal of study was to note that it didn't draw non-believers to hear the Super Bowl, but rather it drew Christians from other churches who wanted to watch the Super Bowl and their church wasn't. And so they went to that church to watch the Super Bowl game. It did not draw non-Christians, but rather it drew Christians from other churches. Now, stop and just think about it. Put the theology aside for a moment. Just put statistics aside for a moment and ask yourself this question. If you're a non-believer, no interest in the things of God, and someone says to you, hey, my church is going to broadcast the Super Bowl. Why don't you go to church with me and watch the Super Bowl? Wow, you mean that? Can I go with you and, and to your church and watch the Super Bowl? Yes, you can. And, uh, and then uh, we're going to have a special uh, presentation during halftime. Wow. You are? Okay. Wow, that, that sounds great. And then somebody says to them, uh, hey, how would you like to come over to my house and, and watch uh, the uh, Super Bowl on the, on, uh, the widescreen and, and uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to have uh, beer and we're going to have... Uh, pretzels, and we're going to have pizza, and uh, we'll sit and watch the halftime show. Uh, Guess where you're going to go? Guess where you're going to go? So it didn't draw non-believers, but it drew believers. And yes, churches swelled. And so it was viewed as a success. Because you can sit around and count. Look at that. Week before, we had 100 people. This week we had 200 people. Wow, we have 100 people more. It was growth of the visible kingdom by that local church. But what was the overall effect of the attractional model? An unintended result. 
And that is that some churches have grown phenomenally. And uh, we have, as a result, the megachurch, which is pretty new to the world, where we have churches of 10, 15, sometimes 20,000 people. But what people don't realize is at the same time that certain churches have grown phenomenally, there are less churches in America today. Smaller churches have been cannibalized, and they no longer exist. And here's the more difficult issue, and that is there are less professing Christians today in America. While there are some huge churches, there are less Christians than before. And further, those Christians that were coming were now coming to services devoid of instruction and meat of the word and hearing only simple evangelistic messages. The the emphasis upon the word of God is, quote, going in order to reach people. The great commission is to go. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Go. The book of Romans. The emphasis is upon going. We have this wonderful statement, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's great news. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then it says this, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without someone preaching? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. Isn't that a nice looking foot? Let me give you a better, a better picture of it. Okay? I can take my shoe off. It's a good-looking foot. It's not a good-smelling foot. Do you ever wonder why preachers, evangelists, have better-looking feet than everybody else do? That's one way you can know if a person's called. Just ask them to take off their foot. Not mean their shoe. No, no, no. It's not that they have beautiful feet. It's their feet are beautiful because they're going. They're walking. They're taking the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am thankful that the winds are shifting. There is a new movement that's blowing over the land. It's not new, it's old. For now, the emphasis is once again on the missional church. And you've been perhaps hearing that language. There is a lot associated with that, but an oversimplification, and it is that, it's an oversimplification, but an oversimplification of the missional church is that once again, it's an understanding that the gospel needs to be taken. It's not a matter of attracting, it's taking the gospel. And while we can say, yes, the church has always been interested in missions, 
out there. But here at home, the emphasis wasn't on taking, it was on drawing, attracting people, having big events, big celebrations, getting people to come to church to hear the gospel. That is no longer the emphasis in most circles today. It is not about bringing people in, it's about going out. So you take even, for example, our family fun day, where we went to a community park in order to try to reach a community. The missional model of the church is much more concerned about growing the invisible church than it is the visible church. The church growth model is more concerned about growing the visible church. How many people are coming and not all that concerned about whether they're believers or non-believers. Just, is your church growing? Is it numerically increasing? But the big question is, is the kingdom increasing? Is there indeed conversion growth? It's not just about getting people to come to church. And another unintended, this certainly was not what was intended, but another unintended consequence is the effect it was having upon the person in the pew. For witnessing turned from telling the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ to inviting someone to church. Just come to church with me. That's not a witness. Someone can't get saved by the message of come to church with me. They must hear the gospel. But what other effects has the attraction model had on the church? Thirdly, in our text, is the magnificence of the kingdom spread. The effect of the yeast on the dough is that it causes the dough to be to rise. Notice in our text, it says that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took, hid in three measures of flour, now these words, till all was leavened. All was leavened. What is unique in these two parables is that in the second parable, the parable of the leaven, the whole flour is leavened. It is transformed into leaven. In the first parable, the parable of the mustard seed, the birds came to nest in the branches. And I talked about that attractional mountain last week and how non-believers came in, but they weren't transformed. They weren't changed. They were still birds. But in this particular parable, the flower is transformed. It becomes leavened. It is changed. It is transformed. Here is an additional problem with the attractional model of the church. The unintended consequences, if you will. And that is that people weren't being transformed because they are hearing a watered-down message. 
They're not being instructed. They're not being taught. They, they, because the emphasis was on presenting the gospel week after week, as opposed to preaching the sound word of God. It wasn't expository in nature. But remember what the Great Commission is. Jesus spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make not just converts, but disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now these words, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. That's what discipleship is. Teaching people to obey all of God's commands. That's the transforming nature of the kingdom. That's what true conversion does. You see, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples. Have people follow my authority. That authority that I have should now be experienced by all peoples. They should recognize my authority. They should obey my commands. We are encouraged to pray for the expansion of the kingdom. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. What does that kingdom's coming look like in the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God spreads by people doing God's will, even as it's done in heaven. Recognizing his authority. It is not simply announcing the good news of forgiveness of sins. So, one doesn't come to the church in order to be entertained or to be coddled, but we come to be instructed and we come to hear and obey the commands of God. The gospel, the good news of the kingdom is transformation. It is deliverance from sin and its power. And that deliverance is so wonderful and that deliverance is so complete that the person who used to shun, reject, flee from God's authority, raised their hand in defiance and sought to rebel against God and say, God, who are you to tell me how to live? Now, willingly, bows their knee and accepts the authority of God. And so thoroughly accepts that authority that it appreciates that authority, longs for that authority, prays for that authority, gives thanks for that authority, and yes, even worships God in his authority. Grateful that he watches over and protects us. The gospel is more than a message of personal salvation. The gospel is the good news of the kingdom's kings and the Lord of lords coming into this world to reign over it. 
And it begins with one person at a time that will eventually transform the entire world. It is a kingdom that at least in its present state is internal as opposed to external. That comes not through human warfare, but spiritual warfare, which sets true Christianity apart from other religions. You see, we aren't concerned about the externals. We're concerned about true conversion. We're concerned about the internal. We're concerned about the heart. Has kingdom, has, has Christianity always gotten that right? The answer is no. There were the Crusades. There was Constantine. There were those that, that tried to coerce people into bowing their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the But the spread of the gospel is not by coercion. The spread of the gospel is not by intimidation. The spread of the gospel is not through persecution. The spread of the gospel doesn't come at gunpoint, which so separates us from the religions of the world that are concerned with outward transformation, that are concerned with outward allegiance. such as ISIS and the persecution. The church will have none of that, for the church recognizes that the spread of the gospel comes one person at a time, from one person sharing the gospel to another person, to another person to another person. The difficulty is is you can't see it. You can't measure it. And so people love programs because you can see them. Because you can measure them. Because you can count how many people are here one Sunday and then how many people are here the following year. You can't count what God is doing in the life of an individual. You can't count spiritual growth. You can't look into the innermost recesses of a heart and see what God is doing. And yet, that is the true kingdom work. Yet, that is the true kingdom. And that's the true spread of which we must be most concerned about. Not just outward conformity, but true and real conversion and adhering to the commands of God. The kingdom doesn't spread through warfare, through persecution, and get this, or through the voting booth. The kingdom spreads by believers being placed in the lives of non-believers and sharing the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ with them and they coming to faith and the people in their lives they are reaching and the people in their lives they are reaching and the people in their lives they are reaching and it will reach into the entire face of the earth the true kingdom of God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, 
I pray that you would help us uh, to be used in the spread of your kingdom as we take your word to people in our lives and, yes, even take that word around the world. We, we thank you even for those from our own congregation who have gone out and are planting churches, are ministering literally around the world, taking the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we ever be mindful of the fact that that's how the kingdom spreads, taking the good news of Jesus Christ to others. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother, if you would come, and uh, I had asked that we uh, do a different hymn. What's the number of that? 489. Okay, you have that? Okay.